Welcome to Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We've got a great show for you today. We've got Michael Blumenthal on, great poet, just an interesting personality, and great human being. Michael Blumenthal, how are you today? Well, when somebody says such nice things about you, you got to be <laughs> fine, Henry, so... I think I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you. As we like to ask around these mountains, where are you from, Michael? Well, I grew up in an area of Manhattan called Washington Heights, which when I grew up there was largely populated by German-Jewish refugees who fled from Nazi Germany. But uh, now it's uh, become a quite a fashionable little neighborhood <laughs> and expensive. But it's on the Upper West Side of New York. Okay, and you started out there, and then, of course, you went on to high school and college, and, and you know, you have such an interesting background, Michael, but where did you go to school, first of all? Where did you go? What college did you go to? Uh, well, I, I graduated from the Bronx High School of Science in New York, and then I went to the State University of New York, now called State uh, Binghamton University. At the time, it was a little liberal arts college called Harper College. And then I taught for a couple of years, and then I went to law school at Cornell. And uh, that was pretty much the end of it. Okay. Now I studied some psychology after that while I was teaching at Harvard, but that was another life. A clinical psychologist, right? And right, right. Well, I didn't finish, but I, 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 I spent a year in a doctoral program. And, but you always wanted to be a poet. That, I mean, that was your calling, right, Michael? Yeah, well, I, I, to say that I wanted to be a poet, I'm not so sure. I didn't really even know what a poet was when I was a kid, but uh, there was a good family friend who lived downstairs, and she wrote poems from my birthday in German every year, and I liked those. And uh, I, uh, I, I really grew up in a world where I didn't know what poets were. My father occasionally recited a line in German from the German poet Goethe, but uh, I kind of stumbled into poetry in a way. I can't say that I always wanted to be a poet, but I was lost and I wanted to be found, and so I started to write poems. <laughs> this was a way of uh, getting insight into yourself, right? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. You know, trying to sort of deal with a lot of inner uh, confusion and uh, trying to understand, uh, you know, Yeats once said that, Poems are, are, are uh, delving, uh, how did he put it, uh, something, uh, drilling operations into the unconscious, I think, is how he put it, and I think that's probably right. Well, you know, I'm reading, uh, I've gotten back into Carl Sandburg, and I had always thought of Carl as, you know, I didn't know how to, I felt about him, but there, I want to share this uh, with the audience and with you lady by the name of Penny Niven, and she's around North Carolina, and she, she passed away before I could interview her, but she was a high school teacher, and she visited over in Hendersonville where Sandberg retired. He and his wife, and his wife had goats there. Anyway, Penny started writing about him and researching, and it's a, it's a great book on Sandberg, and really I had no idea the depth of the man, you know, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he has his critics, as you know, of course, but, right. wow, he's fascinating. And I didn't realize that he spent 
a good deal of time. He obviously spent a good deal of time ho- as a hobo, but he was he went to college after he fought in the Spanish-American War. Went to college, and his first publications, his college professors uh, published him first, and I and of course he got into Whitman and so on. But anyway, he he wanted to he wanted to understand himself, and I think poets have this desire and. I won't say we're outsiders because I think you're a bit of an extrovert like me. But anyway, enough enough about Carl Sandburg. But some of your poems, uh, you know, they're they're a mix. But some of them remind me of Sandburg. And I'll tell you, being on Facebook with you folks, it's a treat. And and reading his uh, Michael's uh, poems are just great. So Michael, you got you became and you are poet. Then you were dean of a law school, right? Uh, no, I wasn't the dean, but I was a law professor, and I was a director of the immigration clinic at the law school. I, I never quite made it to dean, and would never want to be a dean of a law school. But but, no, you, but just you, a professor. And you were before that prof- uh, creative writing up at Harvard, right? Right. Well, yeah, I, I I had a sort of late career change uh, in the reverse direction that I originally changed. Well, that's in, you know, I know your poems you'll share with us some in your personal life, of course. You have, uh, do you have children, Michael? You have a son. I have a wonderful uh, 32-year-old son Mm -hmm. who now is in Zambia in Africa volunteering for an NGO. He's been doing that for two years, and we just visited him in Zambia, and uh, the way it's supposed to be, he's a much better man than his father. He's nicer and kinder and smarter and better looking uh, but he's terrific so we're we're one for one on the on the children uh, okay circuit <laughs> yeah it's all right and didn't you go I'm, I'm gonna throw this out there because I know the folks around the valley will find this interesting didn't you go to Africa what about your relationship I'm just gonna relationship with the chimpanzees or the apes talk a little bit about that did I well, uh, you know, I, actually, you, you said I always wanted to be a poet, but the thing I would have loved to be really was a primate zoologist. But uh, when I was a kid, I didn't know there was such a thing as a primate zoologist. But uh, I fell in love with, I love animals in general, and I particularly fell in love with monkeys and primates. And so in uh, 2007, I went to South Africa and spent a month at a uh, orphan baboon refuge um, called Care, about which I wrote a book. Uh, and uh, actually, if I didn't have such a bad back, I would have done more of that. But uh, my son has sort of taken over that role. And so I went back to Africa for the first time just a, a month ago, two months ago. Uh, but I love primates, and I would have loved to write a book about um orangutans and, and chimps and gorillas, and I wound up only with baboons. Well, talk a little bit about your writings. You've written a lot. Talk about some of your favorite writings, and then we're going to get you to read some poems on Poets and Writers today, WEHC 90.7, excellent producer here with me today, Ivy Shepard. Talk a little bit about what you've written over the years. Well, you know, I have... I'm one of those people who seems to have too many interests or too many passions, or I did. And uh, so I've written books. Most of my books are poetry. Nine of them are poetry. I wrote a novel, a kind of satirical novel about Harvard that 
probably I would have been better off not writing because it got me more enemies than friends. Uh, I've written a book of short stories called uh, The Greatest Jewish-American Lover in Hungarian History. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Hungary. Uh, I've written a book of now, wait radio essays that I did on national public radio. Uh, I've written a book of essays on Central Europe. Uh, I've translated a book of poetry from Hungarian. I edited a volume on marriage. Uh, I think there's a couple more in there, but I can't remember what they Well, there are. you go. The Greatest Lover there. Where was it? The Greatest Lover in Europe, or what? What was the title? It was called The Greatest Jewish American Lover in Hungarian History. It's kind of a long title. Well, were you talking um, about yourself, Michael, or who? Uh, <laughs> I wish. No, I was I, I was not talking about myself, but there is a story uh, in it by that uh, name, by that title, and uh, it's about uh, a man who sort of fantasizes himself as right. the greatest Jewish American lover, but it's decidedly not me. I know. I was, of course, kidding you a little bit. I love your poetry, and I, I love your sense of humor. So you got him upset up at Harvard in one of your books. What was that about? Yeah, my, my book, Weinstock Among the Dying, uh, actually it's not a satire about Harvard. It's more a satire about the narrator, but some many people read it as a kind of nasty book about Harvard. It wasn't intended to be at all. I was very happy to be there and had many wonderful experiences there. But uh, it was about a, a man who couldn't uh, enjoy anything because he was obsessed with the kind of dark side of things. Uh, he had lost his mother early in life, and he saw sort of death everywhere instead of life. And oh. so uh, it's a, really a mm -hmm. satire about him, but people tend to read things. Well, they thought you somewhat. were talking about them, the the academic community, or uh, I mean, just... Well, yeah, it was partially a satire about, you know, academic life is, is very easy to uh, satirize. There's oh, a lot mm -hmm. of funny things you know somebody once said about academic life that the, the smaller the teapot the bigger the tempest yeah and uh, that's <laughs> a little bit true about academic life you know there's a lot of a lot of egos and a lot of competitiveness but there's also a lot of wonderful people yeah, absolutely. so uh, mm -hmm. it's mixed but i think i found a lot of humor and harvard is a kind of place that elicits strong feelings and you know because it has such a kind of magical aura to it especially people who have never been there uh and so it's an easy place to satirize and make fun of and find characters well, who are easy to satirize well that was one of many books we're talking with michael blumenthal today on poets and writers and uh just a great writer, great poet. Michael, let's get you to read some of your poetry, okay? Talk a little bit about your poetry and read some for us today on here around the valley. Can we do that? Uh, you're the boss. I'll do whatever you tell me to. Okay, go for it. Pick us out some poems and share them with us. Okay, well, I will read, uh, you know, a couple of poems from my new book, uh, which is called Don't Die, Uh and some people have said it's a kind of a dark book. I, I, I hope it's not or terribly dark, but uh, most of the poems in it, uh, I happen to be 73, and what happens at this stage of life, uh, you know, when you're young, your grandparents die, and then 
your parents die, and then you get to this kind of not-so-bright place where your friends start to die. And, of course, <laughs> you're on that list, too. And uh, so uh, the title is really, uh, ironically enough, a close friend of mine died yesterday. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is what happens at this point in life. And, you know, between the time the book was in galleys and the book came out, I had to call my publisher three different times to add names to the dedication. Mm. So this is what happens. And uh, this poem is called It Happens. And it's about that. It happens. It happened to him. It happened to her. It happens to animals, plants, and the sea. It wasn't supposed to happen to me. It happens to birds and it happens to trees. It happened to Grandpa. It happened to Sue. But it was never supposed to happen to you. It happened to Gerald Ford and Carter, too. It happens to all those who still want to be. But who would have thought it would happen to me? It happens to nightingales and swallows, too. It happens to bonobos and to the bees. You never imagined it would happen to you. I knew them as children, as middle-aged, too. My friends now on crutches in room 33. I never imagined it would happen to me. Oh, well, that's the cycle, our own trinity, from youth to old age with some middling there, too. It happens to all of us. Just let it be. It will happen to you, friends. It happened to me. So it's not so much a, a poem about uh, dying as it's a poem about aging and <laughs> slowly falling apart. Um, but Well, it's, uh, you know, to use a trite term, it's reality, you know, and uh, I have to say that uh, you're younger than me, Michael, you know, and uh, I used to ride a lot of trains around Europe. Now I'm, there's this great song, Little Black Train, you know. Ivy knows that song, and I think now I'm preparing to get on the Little Black Train. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're, 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 you're handsomer and, and healthier than I am, so uh, well, I may be younger, but I think you're in better shape. Well, you've given me a great line, and I know you, you'll go for this and understand it. You know what Woody Allen says, you know, you know his, his big quote is, he doesn't mind dying, he just doesn't want to be there when it happens. And uh, That's right, that's there, right. There you I go. Think, but but you all, know, we, I, we I, but this thing about death, and I use the term existential, and, uh, you know, I share that with you because I, as a kid, I was always conscious of it and always wanted to live life to the fullest and still do because I recognized that. And I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said, I think uh, two things uh, Americans are afraid of is nature and death. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, which are kind of related to each it, other. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it, I so appreciate this topic because I think that you gain from it, and once you, you realize you don't know exactly where you're going, but there, you're going, uh, a friend of mine, Jay Worrell, who was a great influence on me, said, well, I'm being nicer before he passed away because, you know, I want somebody to attend my funeral. You know, I want them to say nice things. So anyway, uh, okay, Michael Blumenthal, how about another poem here today on Poets All right, well, I'll, I'll read one about trying to escape from all this, <laughs> okay. uh, and it's called Liftoff. 
liftoff. And so in Florida, actually in Fort Myers, that just got hit by that terrible hurricane. Liftoff. I remember being in the air with you above the Gulf waters in Fort Myers and how good it felt to behold the world below with you at my side, only air beneath our feet and a wind of our own making, fish cruising in the waters below us, the faint hum of the boat's engine and your blonde hair blowing into my face, your hand on my thigh. I remember how good it felt to be in the world, yet slightly above it, how you had snuck off to buy the tickets, knowing it would please me to fly off with you a bit into the stratosphere, and how it took our minds off everything terrestrial, as if there could be only love in the air, a world entirely our own, no one to remind us of what awaited us below when we would finally return to Earth, and of who we were, and of what we might have become, at least in a world with nothing beneath our feet but dreams and air and never any solid ground. And that poem was about, uh, I guess it's probably obvious, it was about being up in one of those, what do they call it, parasailing or whatever, where you're hooked to a boat and you go up in the air on these oh. wonderful wings uh, and you escape from everything that grounds you for at least about 45 minutes. Or did you ever try that, Michael? Just... Yeah, that's, that's... Oh, so that's a, really, that's bi- I did it. biographical. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to do it, but uh, I have a fear of heights. Yeah, well, it's not very scary, actually. <laughs> you're above the water. You know, you're not above something hard. Yeah. So if you fall, you just fall into the water. And it's a very lovely thing to do, actually. I'd love to do it again. <laughs> okay. Especially with a nice woman well, next th- to you. Absolutely. And and you have always appreciated uh, women, haven't you? And I say that in a very positive way. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't see why any man... <laughs> Well, any heterosexual man wouldn't. Uh, there are quite many kind, lovely, sweet, interesting women in the world. So, and you've written, yeah. you've written <laughs> some beautiful be, love be poems. Yes, you've written some beautiful love poems. And uh, we're talking with Michael Blumenthal here on the Poets and Writers today around the valley here at WEHC 90.7. Ivy Shepherd's keeping track of the time over here ivy we how are we doing doing pretty well we're moving right along michael all right michael let's get another poem for you here while we before i talk too much okay well yeah. uh this, this poem uh is called how not to die and actually <laughs> the how... title was triggered i was uh, i was in a restaurant here in washington a couple of years back uh, and i was sitting at the bar uh, before waiting for a table and I looked at the bartender, had some books on a shelf, and there was this big fat book with the title, How Not to Die. And I I asked her, I said, what is that? And she brought it over. And actually, it was a book about diet, about how to eat right so that you won't, or you'll live as long as possible. And it was called How Not to Die. And so I write a New Year's poem every year that I send to friends. And so this became my New Year's poem. It's called How Not to Die. Diet is a good place to begin, then exercise, of course, 
and as much love as you are capable of spread in as many directions as possible. Sex, too, is a good thing, especially when accompanied by tenderness and generosity. And don't forget the weather, all kinds, inclement and otherwise. Learn to love the rain, the sleet, the vast asymmetry of the stars. If someone speaks badly of you, kiss them as many times until they are breathless. And if you are betrayed by a friend or a lover, bake cookies for them, cakes. Dip their noses in the bright peonies that have just emerged in your garden. Try hard to pretend that Donald Trump is not president of the United States. Imagine instead it is Nelson Mandela or a distant cousin from Kiev. Dream hard. Wake in the middle of the night and write them down and read them to the first bird that arrives at your feeder. If you are hungry for things that are not good for you, eat them anyway. Then repent by giving your dog a big kiss on the mouth. Clothes that no longer fit you should be cut up and fashioned into abstract collages. Food that has gone bad in the fridge should be left there in perpetual hope of resurrection. Make long lists of everyone who has ever hurt you. Then crumple them up and roast marshmallows with them or else pork fat on toast. Pretend now that you will live forever. Put your arms around every self-help book you have ever bought and read it aloud in the grass. Then pray, then pray for rain. Watch it grow. Beautiful. That's my list of how not to die. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful poem today. Thank you so much for sharing that, Michael Blumenthal. It's, it's a joy to know you, and it's a joy to talk with you, and as we uh, wind up the show, move on out of here today. We've got a few more minutes, and I want to be sure to play a song at the end. Uh, where are you now? Talk about where you're living now and what you're doing. <laughs> well, uh, I'm uh, lying on my bed in my apartment in Washington, D.C., uh, Eric. Ironically enough, in the same apartment that I bought uh, 45 years ago, in 1979. Uh, so... Uh, it's a very small apartment, <laughs> and uh, we just sold our house in West Virginia, and uh, I've kind of moved in back in here. My wife uh, is in France, and so uh, I was in the mood for being in the city again. I've been in, have a house in a very, very small village in Hungary where I spent summers, and my wife has a small place in a very small village in France, so I was in the mood for city living, and I could afford to move back into this apartment because I bought it 45 years ago. So uh, I'm here in Washington and planning to do some things. I'm not quite sure yet what. We're working maybe with immigrants uh, and other things, uh, but part-time, and then uh, half the year we spend at our small house in a village of 270 people in, in Hungary. So uh, I'm kind of transitioning into a new life. Well, you certainly have a 
interesting life, and you've lived an interesting life. And of course, you're up in D.C., a lot of activity. You're up in northwest part of town, right? Uh, I was yeah. in, yeah, in Morgantown for yeah. nine years. And then, um, uh, but in D.C., are you up northwest, up near du- oh, yeah. DuPont? It's, yeah, it's just above. It's a, it's a very green neighborhood just above uh, Georgetown where we have actually rabbits and deer and squirrels and owls not far away, raccoons. Uh, so it's it doesn't feel like, it's not like growing up in Washington Heights. It's, there you uh, go. There you go. To me, there's a squirrel right outside my window as we speak. Beautiful. Well, you're a man of the world and man of the people, and I uh, want to thank you for being on the show today. Any closing comment, comments, Michael Blumenthal? Well, Henry, I, just that I my ambition is to be more like you as I age and uh, that I think we're both lucky to still be alive and joking around and relatively healthy and uh, i'm very grateful to you for having me well god bless you. you god bless you michael god bless you too and you have a wonderful day all right thank you and this is henry mccarthy saying do not wait up for me do not be afraid to stay or still away i'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play and thank you and thank you ivy shepherd for all your work on this program now i've heard there was a secret chord that david played And it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this The fourth, the fifth, the minor
touch I've told the truth I didn't come to fool you And even though it all went wrong I'll stand before the Lord of song With nothing 